interesting because it's such a process that is refined and once you see it and you, and you see it for what it really is and you see it played over and over and over again and you just see everyone else get suckered into it um and you know so here's what happens someone comes out and they say um such and such is happening and you know the first thing is to start you know having a follow-up study that says oh no like that that that's not confirmed you know we're casting doubt on this and then it starts accusing them of scientific misconduct and then taking money to do this really expensive um, scientific study from someone that has an interest in its outcome which is every study on the epic planet I've heard you talk about that strategy of artificial scarcity before. I think we really can apply it to uh, the coronavirus and to and to healthcare in general. Like with energy, if you disallow the proliferation of technologies of free energy and you just sell people oil, then they have to buy the oil. Uh, so these people at the top that control the supply of oil, of course, uh, end up making billions. But the same is true with healthcare, right? Or even. There, I mean, all the sectors of the economy, the food supply, the water supply, eventually, it seems like they're going after, you know? Well, but, that's why, I, yeah, that's why I say we're like the bees slowly being poisoned and mm -hmm. I've been blowing that whistle and now hopefully people can realize what chemical body burden is and why people are being hit with coronavirus, whatever this virus crisis is, whatever strain or form, whether it's man-made or not, that one in every two people has a chronic illness and 54% of our children are sick. Today we have a journalist round table and I'm gonna introduce myself. My name is Brandon Smith from morelawsmoreproblems.com. I was, I'm a United States Marine Corps veteran. I was active duty from 1994 to 1998 and now basically I'm a DJ and a comedian and I create content. And you can find that at morelawsmoreproblems.com. And today we are joined by Marianne, Maryam Heenan and Zach Voorhees, as well as Doug McKenzie. And I'm going to turn it over right now to Doug for more introductions. So take it away, Doug. All right, right on. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to Rob Rubin for helping us produce this at transparentmediatruth.com. Uh, my Website is theshiftnow.com, and you can check me out at uh, on my Patreon page, The Shift with Doug McKenty, if you're interested in checking it out. Um, today, I'm speaking with Miriam Heinen and Zach Voorhees. I'm just going to allow them to introduce themselves so we can get started uh, and get a little bit of background. Uh, Zach, do you want to take it? Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Zach Voorhees. I'm known as the Google Whistleblower. Um, I disclosed over 950 pages of Google's internal documents detailing how they do their censorship. I also sent this to the DOJ Department uh, of Justice Antitrust Division. All right, great. And Miriam, how about you? I am investigative journalist and a functional medicine consultant, and I am best known for directing a documentary film called Vanishing of the Bees which is still relevant because we are now the bees slowly being poisoned by sublethal doses of everything. Yeah, I hear that. Um, Miriam, do you wanna, let's start with you because I wanna get um, an idea of, well, you're actually the first person that I've spoken with since I've been doing this who's had a lot of experience in the mainstream media as a journalist in the past. Can you talk about that experience and then what changed and what caused you to wanna go towards 
uh, independent journalism, and then starting uh, with the honeycolony.com, um, producing more of your own stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yes, I used to be in the mainstream. I came to America as soon as I graduated. I knew there wasn't a lot of opportunity as an Anglophone who wanted to branch out. I often wonder if I went to university in America where I would have landed and came to LA, not because of Hollywood, but because of a boy and realized like I needed to get a green card. I needed to get working because I'm a worker bee. Mm -hmm. So I eventually landed a job for MSNBC and that was at a time where the internet was just getting online and I've been part of the internet since it became kind of mainstream and I've been on computers um, because my father worked for IBM. So for a chick, I consider myself savvy. Um, so I, I landed a job covering the news for channel four and it was a pretty rude awakening of the way I was exposed to journalism and also our coverage in Canada was always very worldly. And next thing I knew I was covering chases and realizing that they spend a million bucks a year per network during, um, during the ratings um, to cover this inane stuff. So there was like, I was behind the computer um, but I often asked to go into the field and there were a couple of times like there was a drive by and I, I, I wasn't the type of journalist I was watching this, this reporter um, invading a vigil and asking the parent how they felt. And it just was seemed just not the type of journalism. So eventually I quit actually found pay stubs where my male counterpart who was he was doing my job was being paid a lot more interestingly the advertising department was in charge of the news because they were afraid that if people logged on they wouldn't tune in and so there was kind of a rivalry and um, then eventually quit and started pitching stories as a freelance and they were often my ideas and I'd go to New York once a year and I wrote for Detour and Black Book and Penthouse and LA Magazine and Maxim and tons of mainstream outlets. And I had an accident um, and that kind of put me on a different trajectory. I, off, I was like covering my beats were sex, Hollywood and spirituality. So nice combination. Yeah, it was a nice combination. And then I got into documentary filmmaking as a researcher. Mm -hmm. um, then I had an accident and then I just was put on a, on a different trajectory and then kind of no longer embraced by the mainstream. And it became harder and harder to pitch ideas. And the editors seem to get younger and younger and more millennial-ish where you're like pitching a story as a seasoned journalist to a kid that knows nothing. Um, so it, it, yeah, it changed. And then I started my own magazine. Well, and tell us a little bit about that, right? Honeycolony.com. What was the impetus behind that? And then now you're, I know more into the, the health perspective and the alternative health perspective. So can you give us a little background into that as well? 
Um, after, after my <clears throat> near-death experience, I um, was hit by an SUV at 35 miles an hour and I didn't have health insurance. Mm. Um, so it took me a year to like literally learn how to walk again using yoga. And my body kind of exploded. I wanted to do like a series of short stories called Panini's Medical Mishaps because they were comedic. And in reality, I had PTSD. And then <clears throat> I discovered really early on that I was allergic to, like my body yeah, just exploded and so many things. And so I e used each thing to really delve and do research and get initiated. So I became like an expert in insomnia and candida. Um, at an early, you know, in 2004, I don't think a lot of people knew about gluten, but I was off gluten and it made a huge difference. And then I changed my diet. I changed my whole body and I was still having health issues. And then the bees flew into my life. And I, I really, because I lived, I just, I just wanted to make this life count and do something that's bigger than me. And so the bees flew into my life. And at one point I was like taking a bath and I was like, what if, what if I'm become like one of those crazy bee ladies and like <laughs> bees kind of stick. And so after the film, um, my ex boyfriend and, and then business partner um, invested in me and created honey colony, which was using the kind of bees as a symbol to proverbially forage for nectar and pollen and find the best sources of information. And so all the products that we sold were products that I used. And then we quickly branded our own products and we were running a very tight ship as, as a, as a magazine, like had a managing editor or senior editor, or just really like mm -hmm. following Google's um, keywords, getting briefed on SEO optimization and learning how to write for the internet, which is completely different, right? Than the write, the written word and more so t today. And then because of selling CBD, uh, I was in operations, but that was never the deal with my business partner because I'm not the one with the MBA in business. I'm just intelligent and business. I could be business savvy, but then everything kind of derailed. And in the end, like to put things in perspective, we, we went from 215,000 to 200,000 in sales from 2015 to a million, which is huge for a startup. For, you know, so we had goals and the goal was to exit after five years and the goal was to be by the ocean and write. And then next thing I knew, all our merchant processors, one after the other, like every, for six months were, you know, Stripe, Square, PayPal, blah, like shutting us down, holding our money, like, and, and it just became a story in itself, hmm. robbed. Um, and then just really started feeling what I dubbed and, and popularizing called techno-fascism. But that's how the magazine started. And I really took a fondness in biohacking and then just recently graduated as a certified functional medicine coach and healed myself and reversed. Oh yeah, along the way, I got sprayed just like the bees and got diagnosed with fibromyalgia and lupus and was told here's some prednisone here's some cymbalta there's no cure your body's attacking itself see ya 
And I said, F you, that's not what's going to happen. And it took six years. And there's something called anti-nuclear antibodies. And I brought them down after six years using a whole arsenal and especially detoxing from chemicals and mm -hmm. chemical body burden. And so, yeah, I have always been kind of like a Hunter S. Thompson person where I put myself in the story and learn through that perspective, infiltrate when I can, um, and, and really use my minor in psychology to understand what's motivates. So I've always been interested in covering stories of like, why is that person a pimp? Um, and have like, I, I was writing for Penthouse and covered a pimp and just would spend nights speaking to him, not judging him, just trying to understand the psychology of a pimp and a hoe. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I'm far away from that world now. And, and now I'm so determined um, to take the vaccine deep state down and uh, bring truth to the, service, to the surface and regain our sovereignty. Well, so what was your experience then like uh, about, I was reading in some of your articles, you know, there came a time period when you were getting so many hits, a lot of people coming to the website, a lot of people reading your work, and then all of a sudden those hits start to dwindle. Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, because as I mentioned, we were following SEO and so we would create articles um, looking at high search, low competition. So we nabbed a lot of keywords and would formulate stories that were really in the future that are super relevant now um, and wanted to get into Google News. We never succeeded there, but we gained 500,000 unique visitors a month. And again, I'm not a Dr. Mercola, um, never got outside investments. So for us, that was a big deal. And because of the sales, I could have easily been a wealthy woman actually helping people. Wow. Yeah. Imagine that. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. The, so, so then we started seeing, I guess, after 2016 was the CBD hell. And then people said to file bankruptcy. I refused. Um, and just to clarify, this is because you started promoting CBDs and just I started selling my own CBD. That's mm -hmm. a hella good CBD that's um, liposomal and has Chinese herbs. And those, you know, I knew I made a good product because I, I partnered with a, a brilliant formulator and I'm really about quality and detail. But then when everything hit the roof, I was doing customer service and dealing with hundreds of angry, angry people. And, um, but many of them wanted their medicine and they, I spoke to people who were suffering for who, who this had helped with bladder cancer, anxiety, with PTSD, veterans, sleep. I was like, wow, I thought I made a good product, but mm -hmm. this is, and I'm not going to give this up. I'm not, I'm helping people. And this is a beautiful plant compound. Um, so then there was the medic update and there were two iterations of it and it, they fell under the umbrella of your money, your life. So kind of any websites <laughs> that dared to profit out of helping you with your lifestyle, whatever that could be. And that right. included health and wellness companies. And, and, and what is, what is the medic update again, just to clarify? Well, the medic, it was called the medic update, but it was an algorithmic change and I'm sure Zach could speak more about that. Mm -hmm. But in, in the end, 
we, we were we lost our rankings we, we lost our rankings initially and then eventually learned that unless you put in honeycolony.com you would not find us even though we were ranking earlier for some of the keywords that we still rank if you use other websites like Swiss cow or quant there's some articles we still come up mm -hmm. um, first and then we also saw some censorship like for instance we're not allowed to promote our lubricant <laughs> right because <laughs> why um so we're, we're not allowed on facebook and and there were also along the way algorithmic changes with facebook that we didn't foresee and if you're an entrepreneur you have to pivot right and you have to adapt and um eventually they took four years of our data of our campaigns which we could see which demographics we were hitting my business partner was the one who had run an ad agency and was handling that um and I was focusing predominantly on the content, which I love to do until I had to run the business. And like I say, I'd rather lick the inside of a toilet bowl than do an Excel sheet. That's just me. I'm, I'm half left brain, right brain, but I would like to, after all the hell I've gone, just stay in creating. Um, creating, and also when you're in damage control, you're really like putting energy into negativity right you have to consider sure. that battles and stuff so back to the medic update um eventually ran into had a conversation with dr mercola who was the only other one that i i knew of that was speaking against what i call techno fascism and and taking it a step further and asking to boycott google um so then 2017 uh, 2018 um, 2019, it gets it gets worse, and um, the sales. To give you perspective, that sales went from um, we even through the hell that we went through because I've just been paying debt really, um, but because the company is a phoenix like me, that we persisted and then we made 830 thousand. The following year, our sales this last year were 386 thousand. Mm. So really slashed. And, and right. now because of the operation crack hack uh, by the FDA that are now persecuting anyone who dares to remind people that they have an immune system and that there are natural things out there that can help. Um, so it's really a war on many fronts. Censorship is worse than ever. Uh, the truth is coming out. Luckily, that's a, I do really believe there's an awakening because I'm witnessing it. Um, and then basically then, then I met Zach. I was doing research for a story. It was increasingly hard to sell anything. And I'll give an example of that. I, I wrote a brilliant story for anyone who really appreciates research and writing and prose and playing with words about this CBD debacle. And it really also summarized many years of what ha has happened with marijuana and with CBD just historic historically. Um, so I just lost my train of thought. So, so, oh yeah, so I was writing the story about techno-fascism and trying to place it and trying to find some confirmation, like what the F is happening with Google? Right. 
because you tr you often and I saw this when I was making my film Vanishing of the Bees. The beekeepers, their natural inclination was to say, "What am I doing wrong?" You know, and we would be at marketing meetings, and then our SEO manager that we hired talked about eat, you know, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. And I'm mm -hmm. like, "Yo, bro, we're already doing that. Like, I have an advisory panel where everything is linked to studies." And this, this was coming from the Google ratings. Yeah, this was, us, this was us trying to appease the gods of Google mm -hmm. and forming our whole business model around the, the infrastructure of SEO optimization. Whereas like today, I'd like to know what other search engines are we ranking? How does that work? Um, because, and also to tell you that words like CBD you can't even look for them. They're not hmm. a keyword. I don't know about coronavirus, but there was another one that they deleted. But CBD definitely have caught that with the, because initially we were using, you know, CBD anxiety to see what people were looking for. Sure. Um, in creating different angles and exploring the endocannabinoid system. So then, when I was writing about techno fascism, and I, I found the link. I'm shuddering. At, at that the Google was a drug company and that Verily and Alphabet, that they were linked to vaccines. Hmm. And that really perked my ears because we had been covering vaccines and I've been covering vaccines for a long time. We had, I've, I've shared this story with Zach, that we had a story on Merck and their MMR vaccine. And then the next day, the website just disappeared. Can't prove anything. Right, wow that the entire website, luckily I was able to call the server, which was then in Germany. And I was in Montreal at the time and revive the website, but it sure freaked us out. And I just learned through a recent FDA, a company that sells silver, that they nipped them at the server and they woke up and it's, it's gone. Hmm. The website, it's gone. Their business is gone. Just like that. Right. So, during my research, I came across like I had been following Alex Jones for at least a decade and continued to appreciate his reportage, despite the fact that he was voted off the island and used as a poster child. I saw through that and I stood for freedom of speech. So anyways, I, 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 don't, I caught Zach first on, on Project Veritas, so he was blacked out and then I saw him on on Alex Jones and I just I just felt like I I connected with him and I'm like I'm just going to reach out to this guy and see if he confirm he can confirm whether Google is a drug company and what he has to say without even really delving into not knowing that he also had a passion for health and is a scientist and um, mm -hmm. so he he responded to me and here we are in the jungle <laughs> well let's uh let's switch over to zach actually and get his point of view yeah exactly um and so during this time you were actually working at google huh zach we can't hear you very well yep yeah sorry about that Okay, there yeah, we go. Yeah, so when I met Miriam, I had just disclosed um, Google censorship 
uh, through Project Veritas. And so she saw me and uh, reached out through Twitter and we just kind of connected and, um, and we had a lot in common. Like I, I have a startup business that's making a little bit money. Um, it, it certainly made more than it does now. And Miriam has a company that's been, you know, at the height way more successful than mine has been. And uh, I'm like, oh yeah, this girl's, you know, uh, going out there and selling medicine and that's uh, in opposition to the big pharma cartels. And right. so she's been getting messed with and sites like her are the reason why I, you know, disclosed to the American public, you know, what was happening because Google shouldn't have the power to, you know, destroy entire sectors of the economy, which is let's, what was happening. Let's get a little backstory on that. I mean, you actually spent like a year while you were working for Google, like you're working for Google and you're thinking you're working for a company that is basically crowdsourcing, a crowdsourcing platform for, you know, resource material for people that are trying to do research. Uh, and you're thinking you're doing a good thing. And then you're discovering that Google is actually starting to shift these algorithms following some different agenda, some corporate agenda that, that really isn't about, you know, crowdsourcing or got just gathering information from the internet and then, um, you know, and then putting it out there for people without messing with it first. How did that happen to you? Like, how did you become aware that something was up? Oh man, you know what? It was really clear. It happened right after Donald Trump got elected. Uh -huh. The company started doing a full 180 degree turnaround and started to uh, censor what they called fake news. And before they really got into the censorship, they started giving signals out that they were going to do this by sort of like um, making statements within the company that they had a duty to protect their users from quote unquote fake news, right? And a week after Donald Trump won the election, the CEOs, the CFO, um, chairman of the board, basically the C-level executives had a round table and they described the election and what it meant to them and what it meant to the company. Uh, the chairman, Sergey Brin was like, I think his exact words were he was personally offended at the election of Donald Trump. And the CFO broke down into tears talking about how they were going to lose this election. And then the CEO, Sundar Pichai, responded to a question about what, had, what Google had done that was successful. And he said, well, the most successful thing that we've done during the election was to censor the fake news. And I went, wow. wait a minute, we're, we're censoring anything? Like right. I thought a mission statement is organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. That doesn't include censoring. In fact, it's opposed to it. So I started doing some digging. Um, I found documents that were describing the, like what fake news was and how to identify it. And some of the examples that they were using were quite alarming. Um, what they thought was fake news was the idea that Hillary Clinton was running weapons through Benghazi in order to arm uh, ISIS terrorists. And now I, I really wasn't that political. I was like, it's all weird. And I just like tuned it out. But mm -hmm. um, when I saw this, I was like, well, wait a minute, is that true or not? And so I started to do the research and I went, whoa, 
there's actually <laughs> a lot of information that this is actually what happened. And, uh, you know, including some Stinger missiles that weren't armed properly that were fired by some terrorists in Afghanistan. And then it like hit a helicopter, but it didn't explode. So they recovered the bomb that was unarmed. And they're like, hey, this is coming from the CIA. We, why is it, you know, entering into terrorist hands? So right. um, there's this long line of evidence that supports the idea that me and Clinton was involved in running weapons to Benghazi to fund ISIS terrorists. Google's saying, no, this is fake news. We got to censor it. So I was like, oh, I don't know whether this is censorship because it's fake news or because it's politically inconvenient. So I started to dig further because if there's something that's going to identify fake news, then there's got to be something that's going to remove it. And what was that thing that was going to remove censorship? Well, it had a name and it was called machine learning fairness. This is what I disclosed to the American public and all of its related subcomponents like Project Purple Rain um, and um, the, the Twiddler, which re-ranks all the searches. Um, and it was these systems that I that I you know disclosed and said no this is this is how Google is actually doing their censorship and when they say they don't do any political censorship they're just liars like they're liars like you know now we've got the documents now we know that while right. um, they were explaining to Congress under oath that they didn't have any blacklists I I literally on the inside went we don't use blacklists what that's news to me go and I do a search for the term blacklist and I found blacklists that were literally named blacklists. <laughs> right. I mean, they're not even hiding it in the internal documents, huh? They're not even hiding it. That's how brazen they are about right. lying to Congress. So, um, you know, I, I took it all. I, I got it down uh, because I was like, you know what? This is too crazy for anyone to believe. I got to get evidence. I started collecting evidence uh, basically a PDF version of all these documents. Uh, I, and then once I started seeing Google start getting really extreme and getting into sedition and treason territory, I was like, well, that's it. I'm now a conspirator if I don't, um, you know, bring this forward. Right. So I, 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 I sought out media. I landed in the laps of Project Veritas. They handled the disclosure. They did a sting operation. And they got Jen Janai, one of the AI executives of Google, to admit on camera, um, she didn't know she was being filmed, but on camera, that only something the size of Trump could stop the next Trump situation in 2020. Hmm. Wow. So, boom, we got them in their own words. That came out. Um, yeah, I mean, um, the whole world is, is worried about Russian manipulation. Um, and yet you're finding that the Google search engines are clearly clearly biased one way or the other uh, in terms of manipulating the searches. So if people are seeking political information, I mean, these people are influencing our ability to make clear choices in terms of who we're going to vote for in the next election. Yeah. Like Russia doesn't even hold a candle to right. what the power of Google has. And we're just trusting them to be okay and great because they told us that they were in their, you know, mission statement and their IPO letter and all these other things that said that we're not going to do any evil. And, right. um, you know, uh, and we believe them because what is Google lying to us? Well, now we know the answer. Right. They were. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's an incredible story. Um, and then you also found evidence that Google would be manipulating other, uh, searches for, um, 
you know, almost anything under the sun, really, but especially concerning uh, our healthcare decisions, right? I mean, there the searches aren't just taking you away from some political perspectives, or even, I mean, you know, what do they call fake news? I guess we could kind of go here for a little bit, like these these terms, fake news and misinformation. I mean, I know when these memes kind of hit, I I actually spent a lot of time myself going back and forth from you know, whatever site it was, Alex Jones, Infowars, or, you know, Global Research, or the Ron Paul Institute, or the, the, Black, the Black Agenda Report, I, you know, mm-hmm. I would check out. And then I'd compare that with CNN and Newsweek and the New York Times. Night you know. and day. Yeah, and it was amazing to find out, well, what is this fake news of which they speak, you know? <laughs> what is this misinformation? Because they pretend like People are just pumping. It's like the onion. Everybody that's not the Washington Post is just the onion and is just pumping out, you know, literally delusional information that has no rational source in the universe. You know, no, no peer reviewed study would ever say anything that these quack sites are saying or these misinformation sites. And so I actually spent a lot of time myself like bouncing back and forth trying to figure out what are they talking about fake news? It looks to me like people just are, you know, have a, 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 a difference of opinion. And then actually, as I did more and more research, I continually found the independent sources were doing just plain better journalism than the corporate sources. If which you would, can find them. I mean, look at right. Zero Hedge. They, they got decapitated, but there's still Zero Hedge if you're like a small, you know, someone that's been suppressed. Sure. Um, then how do you even find them? Just like Sasha Baron Cohen said, when they pretended the ADL had to come in and tisk tisk Google. Meanwhile, Zach can confirm that they've been uh, commingling and come in and tell people you have quote freedom of speech, but you don't have freedom of reach. Brilliant shit, brilliant. But that's right. what's happening now, and every day it's getting worse because now the Ministry of Truth. I'm appalled at uh, fellow journalists appalled i i didn't think you know when they started recycling cbs footage recycled from a different country and then you just really see cbs is so in the pocket of big pharma and they're just prostitutes and then the real heroes are the ones who are getting smeared and banned shadow banned demonetized and it's getting worse, and, and the, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. You could see, that because of social media, ironically, like um, was Cernovich says in Hoaxed, you know, fake news is, is old news, but it's social media that has helped show the disparity, and hopefully, you know, they don't shut us down completely because citizen journalism is alive and well, and I am mm-hmm. so blown away by fellow you know, we live in Twitterville, or I admit I do, how brilliant these researchers are. For instance, these mothers, they know more than doctors. They know more than doctors. And then they shame you. Like I was shamed two weeks ago. Do you have a medical degree? Do you have a journalism degree? You don't even know who's funding your nonprofit that you're supposedly peddling shit for, but it's on your website. You don't even, you don't even know who's funding you. Um, it's just, it's just all projections and it's sorcery straight up. I mean, the, this whole thing about the Dunning Kruger effect, right. Just drives me nuts. I mean, I can spend thousands of hours doing research at my, I mean, what, what does it take to be an expert? (laughs) 
I don't know. Like you're talking about, there's a lot of citizen journalism. What I do is I look at somebody's article or what somebody says, and then I actually check their sources and see if the sources check out. I mean, this is how I was taught to do research in school. And so I just follow the protocol and I try to be as disciplined as I can. And then you get blamed. Well, if you don't have a PhD, then you're suffering from the Dunning-Kruger effect. If you're making a choice about your own life or your own political decisions or your own health choices, and it really is so demeaning. I mean, I can't, you hit it right on the head with the shaming. You get shamed by people who are just like, no, the truth is this. We know because the consensus of experts, wherever that comes from, the Google AI tells us the consensus of experts, and then uh, everything else is just a lie. And if you disagree, then you're peddling fake news. It's, it's such a bizarre narrative. I mean, I don't even understand. Like, look, it's fine to have a disagreement. If you disagree with me, vote for somebody else. You know, go get, you know, go to Big Pharma for your health advice, and I'm going to take my organic tea. I mean, you know, I'm going to detox. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a personal choice. Like, I don't even know why we're going up against this and why why whatever the system is, you know, whatever it is that seems to be saying, it just wants everyone to believe that its version of the truth is the only narrative that, that we're allowed to have. Um, it's absolutely bizarre. Um, anyway, Zach, do you want to kind of point to some of this? Because I know that you've done a lot of looking into how the AI works and what different tactics they use to steer us in certain directions. Yeah, so basically the AI is a monitoring system. And what it does is it takes in uh, piles of data and then tries to figure out patterns in them and then comes to reasonable conclusions about um, how to take new data and make decisions about it. And so let's kind of walk through how the machine intelligence is trained. So first it starts off by um, an army of people who go through a pile of data and assign um, tags to it. So for example, they may go through a pile of news articles and then they'll assign the articles either as fake news or real news, okay? And so, you know, let's say you've got 10,000 articles that are all properly labeled with fake news or not fake news. And you feed that training data into a machine learning algorithm. And what it's going to do is it's going to build a classifier. And the way it builds that classifier is that classifier looks for patterns and tries to figure out, well, what word associations results in something being labeled fake news. And so if they, if they, you know, once they train it enough, then it learns the patterns on its own. And then once it's been, uh, you know, crystallized that the patterns have crystallized, you get what's called a classifier. And mm -hmm. so, you, you train a classifier and then forever on out, that classifier is able to identify things that look like um, the data that it's seen in the past. And so uh, this is what they mean by machine learning fairness is because what they're trying to do is they're trying to, you know, bake into this sort of Marxist corporate policy, um, their corporate values into the way that they re-rank the entire internet. And one of the crazy things that I learned about this um, you know, sort of philosophy was from the design docs that I was able to see while working at the company. And in these design docs, which I've released, by the way, on my, on my website, ZachVorhees.com, mm -hmm. on this document was a really interesting question, which was, if the search could, can objective reality be algorithmically unfair? And the answer to that was yes. 
And here's an example. Let's say that you're an individual and you are typing on images.google.com for CEO. If Google returns images that are mostly male, and even if this reflects the state of reality, this can still be considered algorithmically unfair and justify intervention via product intervention. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what they're saying is objective reality is unfair and we know better and we're going to change the information of the entire planet uh, because we can. And what's that product intervention? Machine learning fairness. Okay. So in one of the slides that um, was a bombshell, um, I, we caught Google basically admitting that programming people was a four-step process. And you can see this on my website. And it's like content, if I can remember correctly, content is generated and then it's like filtered um, and then it's re-ranked and then like people like us are programmed. And so, right. you know, and, and if, you, if you repeat this cycle, what you get is a generalized echo chamber. And so what they're trying to do is that they want to um, change society by, by programming this pipeline and, and different sections like, you know, what kind of content is generated? Well, if you ban the people that have a differing opinion, then you only get one kind of content that, you know, gets generated. And then, you know, maybe there's a few bad apples or someone, you know, is a heretic. Well, then, you know, censor them and filter them and push them down and make sure that no one sees them. They don't have reach, right? And then over time, the society of, uh, as a whole will move into a different uh, trajectory and you just keep applying this soft censorship until, um, the people reach this preordained set goal. Wow. And they they admitted it. They admitted it in slides. And it wasn't just in one place. I found it in multiple places. And so I was like, these people know exactly what they're doing. Um, They're they're Marxist, postmodernists, whatever. They feel that they're, you know, these whiny authoritarians that feels that they can just um, engineer society because they can well, that's what it is, right? Google gave us a promise that they were going to crowdsource the information based on the individual choices in an organic system based on you know the choices of all of users and instead are engaging in a top-down system of social engineering where they're literally steering all of their users into conforming to one kind of belief system, one kind of version of reality. They're mm-hmm. also faux altruists. I mean, these... <laughs> the, the the founders um, went to Montessori school. If you know anything about Montessori, which is similar to Steiner, mm-hmm. I mean it, it's a good it's a good upbringing. So it was also under the falsehoods of altruism uh, for the betterment. Uh, to you know, we thought the internet was to spur con- connectivity and sharing, and what McLuhan saw as this global village. I mean, he, he was a, he's now a deceased philosopher who talked about um, information glut, who, who foresee a glo- global village. In any case, my point was that these right. guys fooled us into, you know, don't quote, don't be evil. It's, again, an inverted truth. Yeah, I mean, there is a kind of virtuousness that's displayed that's a false a false virtue. I mean, to me, virtue is standing up for each individual's right to choose for themselves, you know, health sovereignty or their political beliefs. Um, But then you get this notion that, well, somebody on the top of the pyramid, I guess, just knows better than the rest of us 
how to take care of ourselves. And so they're going to start to socially engineer um, our behavior uh, so that we start to follow down a path. Even when we think we're making our own choices, we're actually not because we're, uh, there's so many, so much of the information is being held back or so much of the information that may or may not. Like one of the questions coming up for me is how popular do you think say, well, naturopathy would be versus allopathy if we just had a like a free market of ideas or even a lot more freedom of choice of, of our own healthcare choices. I mean, how well, many people would one of the reasons why they infiltrated because mm-hmm. the organic movement makes a lot of money. And there's there's criticism within the organic movement as well, because I right. call it the piggy effect. Like you start off like from Lord of the Flies, you start off having these altruistic values and then you get rotten. Um, so there, there was a movement and there is a movement and, and, and it's now been, it's being smushed down. And these auto suggestions, when you're talking about Google is, is a very simple, you you look it up. It's a simple, but very powerful mind control tool. And what Zach discovered is straight up telling people, telling them, um, the employees, this is how we're going to program people. And their, their, um, blind spot is, which was echoed in the film, the circle by Dave Eggers was written a book is this transparency. So that's why someone like Zach was in his legal rights to do research because everything was open to everybody Mm-hmm. or to a certain extent, right? And that that's why you could have someone who has courage like Zach. Where are the rest of them? Where, you know, where are these people? It's time to stand up. You work in a hospital, stand up. You work for one of these dirty companies, stand up. Get the balls. It's spiritual warfare. Which side are you going to are you going to be on? Truth or lies? Well, it is amazing you know, one of the things that's interesting to me, the people that I talk to on a daily basis that really w- want to just go with the flow and 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 uh, believe in the corporate narrative and think that everybody who is going against the grain must be just listening to fake news or whatever, you know, they're constantly saying, well, you know, you don't listen to experts and we listen to experts or, you know, you're following fake news and that's not an expert. And then it's like, no, here's, you know, a hundred experts or a dozen whistleblowers from these companies saying what I'm talking about is going on. And it's like, and then they'll just come up with whatever excuse, you know? <laughs> oh, I mean, all the hit pieces on Judy Mikovich. It's, it's outrageous to me. It's like, I want to tell these people, do you have two PhDs and 51 peer reviewed papers? Um, or are you just going to ignore this person because you spend five minutes on Google and you discover that, everybody's saying that masks are great for you. So Judy must be a crazy lady. Um, You know, I mean, they do the same thing. It's just outrageous to me the way that the people that do come out. I mean, I've done, I've interviewed uh, Dr. Andrew Wakefield before and Del Bigtree, producer of Vaxxed. And they actually call it getting Wakefielded in the medical world. If you come out as a whistleblower against big, big pharma, because they know, you know, you're going to get hammered. You're going to lose your job. You're probably going to lose your license. And you're getting wakefielded. There's a term for it, you know. <laughs> and he's lucky because he's alive. How many doctors? Right. How many doctors? Eighty plus that have all suicided themselves. Right. And how about dig- being digitally assassinated when you don't? You're not. You're not given a voice. 
this is really the medical mafia. They're not effing around. They're, they have the biggest lobbying power and they have infiltrated. This is, you know, all we can do is continue to sound the alarm. People are waking up. They are realizing that the cure is uh, worse than the disease in regards to this psyop. Um, yeah. Well, Zach, I, I, do you, oh, go sorry. ahead. Sorry, I, go ahead. I was just wondering if Zach had anything to add. Um, I'm sorry about what? Oh, I mean, we're just talking about, I mean, you know, I guess we could steer the conversation in the general direction of the encroachment of this techno fascism that's going on and the ability to silence the whistleblower or the, the expert that comes out against the, you know, the, the, the quote unquote expert consensus. Right. Yep. And, and the thing is, is that's so interesting because it's such a process that is refined. And once you see it and you, and you see it for what it really is and you see it played over and over and over again, and you just see everyone else get suckered into it. Um, and, you know, so here's what happens. Someone comes out and they say um, such and such is happening. And, you know, the first thing is to start, you know, having a follow-up study that says, oh, no, like that, that, that's not confirmed, you know, we're casting doubt on this. And then it starts accusing them of scientific misconduct and then taking money to do this really expensive um, scientific study from someone that has an interest in its outcome, which is every study on the effing planet. <laughs> right. Right? Like, you know, it's, it's like people don't just give money away for science that has nothing to do with them. And so you start saying, oh, well, then, you know, and then, and then, um, you know, it starts like doubting their motives. It's like, oh, well, that scientist is just doing science for money. You know, that would be kind right. of a Snopes style article about, in the way that it goes down. So they start doing this like credibility hit on the person and then if they don't shut up then you know eventually what happens is that they start getting in trouble with the law now that they saying oh well this person has a uh you know criminal smudge on it they've got some sort of stain and then they systematically start getting like more removed from the pool of what it means to be a credible uh, person a credible scientist right and they're like oh this person was like falsifying stuff and they stole some notebooks right and my friend was saying that's really extreme like i take notebooks home because i work on my stuff at home like right. is that a criminal offense now like what's going on and um and so you know this is what happens with you know people like judy mikovitz is what happens with people like andrew wakefield you know they just get um totally destroyed the reputations like destroyed their careers destroyed they, they get blacklisted because the thing is is that someone that stands up so completely with integrity can't be allowed to continue going on because they will just expose the entire criminal racket for what it is and so they have to be destroyed and then the reputation and their name dragged through the mud right yeah i mean oh go ahead can i add something to what mm -hmm. you because you were bringing up the whistleblower so let's and and the experts. So let's say when I was making my making vanishing of the bees to have a beekeeper in Florida, in Dade County, to have a, a beekeeper in Italy, in, in, in Greece, all over the world, 
independently coming to the conclusion, and these are the people that are in the fields interacting with their bees, saying, I think it's the neonicotinoids, these systemic pesticides. Well, that is anecdotal evidence that at some point becomes empirical data. That is discounted. So you're going to discount that all, all these people are coming. And like the Mikovitzes and the Wakefields, those are the big people. There's other people that are sounding the alarm that don't even get a platform. Um, so luckily, let's say with Dave, ha David Hackenberg, who's the poster boy for co colony collapse disorder, and beekeepers in general, I, I liken them to Greek mothers. They, they start talking, um, but still to this day, a bear in America will not acknowledge that systemic pesticides are harming bees. And then you do get veiled threats, like clearly someone said, if you pursue bear, you better watch your tires. Right. And how, how do I know, uh, because, how do I know these are, these are not related, these subtle attacks of people who have courage that are blowing the whistle? At some point, it does reach maximum. But here we are, let's say with the bees again, 10 years later, still not acknowledging that systemic pesticides are not only killing bees, worms, uh, destroying the topsoil, killing butterflies, bats, on and on, humans. And the lie, the lie continues. So um, I just wanted to touch upon that experts comment and whistleblowers. Well, and I loved what you said that um, anecdotal evidence becomes empirical data, right? I mean, how often do I hear both, oh, that's just anecdotal, that doesn't prove anything, or the other phrase that they love to recite over and over again is correlation doesn't prove causation. Well, yeah, but it's evidence. It's evidence of causation, right? But anecdotal evidence is evidence. Like if we see the anecdotal evidence, maybe we should do a study. I mean, that's the thing about uh, Andrew Wakefield's paper. It's like nobody actually goes and reads that paper that he got so much, you know, in so much trouble for. And the mainstream media just says, oh, he tried to say that there was a correlation between the MMR and autism. Well, it was a small study of 12 kids. It was about gastrointestinal disease. It had nothing to do with the vaccines. And he noticed that nine of the 12 kids had gotten their MMR before, right before the onset of symptoms. So at the end of the study, he says, I noticed that there was a correlation. Maybe we should do another study, a bigger study with a larger cohort. You know, that's it. And that's what got, he lost his license because he thought maybe we should study something a little bit more. I mean, if you really look into it, you start to see like, what, <laughs> you know, what are these people so afraid of? Obviously they don't want to do a bigger study because they're afraid a bigger study might actually discover that there is something there. And so and there is just, no independent studies. Bayer, Bayer, um, the EPA tells Bayer, you do your own studies. So you have the, the fox guarding the hen house. Then right. you have scientism. You know, people will go, he has a PhD. Who gives a F? Let's look at the parameters of the study. Oh, you're looking at bees, systemic pesticides. You only looked for five days, yo. You, you only looked within X parameter, but the bees fly five miles. This, and you only looked at um, one crop, for instance. So my point to illustrate that is if it's scientism, it's the faux faith of modern science, which I've written about yeah. in length, looking at how corrupt uh, science is. And yet, because you have your Fauci, 
who hasn't practiced medicine, who allowed people to be poisoned for optics in Florida so he can get his $1.1 billion for his effing Zika fund. You're not a doctor. You're a sham. Well, I mean, you get into these public-private partnerships and the government just starts funneling unlimited funds to these people who are promoting this one-sided perspective. And, and that's when I've started you know, thinking about it myself. You, you kind of realize it's agenda-driven. It's not actually science-driven. There is this, I think you're right on with the idea of scientism and that people believe with, with this unbelievable faith. And it's only people, by the way, who don't actually read the primary documents, the sources, the peer-reviewed sources, because the science, at the very least, clearly shows that there's a rational disagreement going on, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that's so, so frustrating to me is when I, you know, I started to do research just as a, from a journalistic point of view or a reporting point of view. I studied history in school, so I know, you know, history and philosophy, I know how to do that kind of academic research. And, um, I, you know, I know enough big words that I can kind of understand some of these scientific peer-reviewed studies. And I started going, well, I got to go straight to the peer review and find out where is science at with some of these issues. And you find out that it's like not all scientists agree. There's not a huge scientific consensus. And yet the mainstream believes that there's massive consensus amongst experts that no science shows an, another opinion and any reasonable person has to think according to this sort of consensus the consensus that's created by the Google algorithms, Zach. I mean, it's amazing how it misrepresents real disciplined science. And instead of showing this scientific debate that's going on and allowing experts from one side and then experts from the other side to have a debate on a mainstream media outlet, for example, the mainstream media, the corporate media or the Google algorithms just pretend like there's overwhelmingly one side to the issue and other people are just quacks. Um, so bizarre, which again, then it's agenda driven. There's social engineering going on. There's something else. It's not objective science that's happening here. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. And, um, you know, it's not legitimate science if the dissenters have to be disbarred, you know, said that they're heretics and then tossed out of the church. Right. You know, that's essentially what we have right now is we don't have an institution of science. We've got a church that's masquerading as an institution of science. And that church is trying to make us feel guilty. It's trying to say that we're responsible for the destruction of the planet, uh, for global warming, for the garbage patch in the, in, in the ocean. Um, and then it says that the only way that you can atone for your sins is by uh, paying a carbon tax, right? So it's a church, it's not a scientific organization. The true science, um, will free humanity. Like right. true science basically is, you know, nuclear energy that can power the world without the need of fossil fuels and is uh, extremely safe and always available. Um, and, you know, that true science can get us to the stars and get, off, get us off this planet uh, and allow us to explore the solar system. Uh, and that sort of science um, needs to be suppressed because uh, the people that control the world don't like disruption to their operations and they don't like disruption to their monopolies. And when you have these disruptive technologies like free energy and, and uh, you know, new nuclear, and I mean, you know, 
nuclear is actually kind of a form of free energy. You just, it's cheap and abundant and, and safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they want to make sure that those, those really radical technologies that can change the, the, the society are kept down so that they can keep their whole racket going. And that's, that's where we are at today. Um, you know, by propaganda, we thought that Google was this really great organization. They were a really great organization for a while, but it was just to, it was it was just a means to the end, which was total domination of all searches and all phones and all email and all the communications and being able to monitor us. And um, what's happening is that America is waking up to this. The world is waking up to this. Um, we wake up every single time YouTube goes and bans a channel for talking about things like, you know, vitamin C right. as a possible mitigation strategy for coronavirus. And every time they do that, we're like, we're like, wait a minute, why are these leftists acting like Nazis? And then you go and they find out, and they're like, wait a minute, the Nazis were socialists and the Nazis were leftists. <laughs> and we start to realize that, wow, there's a lot of history that's been faked. And the more we wake up to it, the more we realize that, uh, it's all church, and it's all church owned by uh, a very wealthy uh, in-group, and that in-group is going to be exposed, and their whole system is flying apart. And now we're all under lockdown because, um, and and all the oil is, is being uh, stalled at sea, and all the products out of China are now being delayed because uh, that whole system of debt and globalization and single point suppliers is collapsing. And thank God. For that, yeah, right. You're here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard you talk about that strategy of artificial scarcity before. I think we really can apply it to uh, the coronavirus and to and to healthcare in general. Like with energy, if you disallow the proliferation of technologies of free energy and you just sell people oil, then they have to buy the oil. Uh, so these people at the top that control the supply of oil, of course, uh, end up making billions. But the same is true with healthcare, right? Or even there, I mean, all the sectors of the economy, the food supply, the water supply, eventually, it seems like they're going after, you know? Well, but, that's why, I, yeah, that's why I say we're like the bees slowly being poisoned. And mm-hmm. I've been blowing that whistle. And now, hopefully, people can realize what chemical body burden is and why people are being hit with coronavirus, whatever this virus crisis is, whatever strain or form, whether it's man-made or not, that one in every two people has a chronic illness and 54% of our children are sick. And as, as Zach was saying, like it's an, it's the overtone window. We're normalizing pathology. We're being, this is norm, being normalized. They're mm-hmm. slowly conditioning us another month, another week, la la la. This, it's like two deaths, Costa Rica, lockdown. Bahamas right. talking to the doctor who sued Fauci, zero coronavirus, lockdown. Um, I, I read something today in passing where they're saying that the highest uh, mortality rates are now said to be in Sweden. And I didn't have enough time to check whether, you know, because they're being applauded for herd immunity. And now this article comes out saying that there's the highest uh, rates of death. But in any case, the point is that being in another country, you can see that this is a global rollout because that we're keeping up with appearances under BS. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and every day that they continue, whether this is to foil the elections or to reset the economy, pe- people, they're also watching us. How, how will we react? Will we allow ourselves to be muzzled with these BS masks? Will we speak out? It's all a test. It's all being, we're being studied. Well, this is for sure. Um, it's all a part of a, a large medical experiment, which I thought they mentioned in the Nuremberg Code because the, the Nazis were doing a lot of that and they decided that was a bad thing. But <laughs> nobody's really paying attention to that right now. The CDC just removed the Nuremberg PDF uh, last week. Wow. You could see, like if you do the search, you could see the image, but then when you click on it, then somehow it's it's under the page Nuremberg spelled N I. Oopsie, huh. oopsie, <laughs> Ministry of Truth. You're just a little spelling mistake. Yeah. So why is that? Are they trying to? This is in this is in 1984. The vaporization. The they the are Snopes has a collection. It's called the Collective of Coronavirus like fakes. You know, if you're trying to go back in time and look at the, at the timeline to put pieces together and you don't know any better because you haven't been covering this from day one, forget about it. Right. You're, you're going to be fed. Um, and, and then you're, you're, you're belie- again, I had a conversation with my mom, but now weeks later, she's like, oh, this is just the flu. Um, but still, why are all people dying? And I don't doubt that they're dying because newsflash, we die. We die every day. Do we talk about all the cancer rates, all the AIDS, all the autoimmunity, all the other heart rate, respiratory issues are like number four or five on mortality. Um, And we're just, this is just fear, 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 fear. So I I really, I really hope that people are going to wake up and, and they are. They're shooting themselves in the foot is my thought. Well, I hope so. I hope people can start to, uh, you know, really see what's going on. I think the important thing is for people to really understand that it's important that everyone has the ability to make choices for themselves. And really, we need to have access to clear information and unbiased information to be able to make good choices for ourselves. Um, You know, which is, I guess, where Google is coming in and, and saying, well, no, you're not allowed to have this information. You can only have that information. And I think in terms of the coronavirus, I mean, the alternative cures really are, uh, you know, I can see it right now. If I try to get on Google, if you try to understand what's really going on with the hydroxychloroquine debate, um, you know, the countries that are using it seem to be getting along a lot better than the United States, which is not using it. Uh, And yet there's almost no coverage of it whatsoever. And even difficult to find it in in the search engines, just like you're saying. I mean, Zach, like in a situation like this, what do you think Google is doing in terms of covering up uh, like an alternative cure? Or if you're trying to make a search on Google to discover what an IV vitamin C might be doing, or, you know, I've heard of doctors having success with hydrogen peroxide nebulizers and none of this, uh, you know, even going back into the artificial scarcity argument, I mean, isn't this just the thing? A bottle of hydroxychloroquine costs 20 bucks. And they want you to get remdesivir. If you look, if you Google that, you're going to get a thousand articles talking about how great it is. Uh, And that's, you know, a thousand bucks a pop. So, you know, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing an orchestrated attempt to steer us in the direction that's going to cost us the most to get the least. 
Yeah, well, this isn't the first time that I caught Google, like, you know, censoring information. Uh, when I was inside the company and I typed in blacklist, I got to their YouTube uh, blacklist that was being used by their Twiddler system of machine learning fairness to downrank uh, content that they didn't want users to find. What was the information they didn't want users to find? Would you believe that they had cancer cures? as a right. phrase and cures cancer. They, they had them both blacklisted. And, you know, um, the, the question is why, why would you get in between someone and their search for a cancer cure? Um, and, um, you know, I, I would guess that they might come up with a reason like, Oh, we don't want to give them false hope or something like that. But that's BS. Like, you know, we're giving right. people chemotherapy, which is basically world war one, you know, uh, mustard gas in order to like, in hopes that we kill the cancer faster than we kill the person. Like this is crazy. Um, and you know, for, you know, and then, and then I find out, well, you know, if they're, they're curing all these, if, if they're banning cancer cures as a, search phrase, then I'm going to search for cancer cures on alternative engines. And what I found was that there's these cancer cures like GC (laughs) and vitamin B17 and apricot seeds is, has been used to have remarkable success on fighting cancer. So that's amazing. Right. And, and so it just goes to show that they're in league with some sort of dark evil force where they would go and, and try to block cancer cures and try to censor mothers with a vaccine injured children like yeah. that's that's demonic it's it's like it's a type of spiritual like evil that goes beyond just trying to maximize profits it's it's trying it's to do something human. truly evil what it's not it's not human yeah like these people need to be dragged in front of a military tribunal and their crimes exposed to humanity and then we get to point to them and say, see, this is what happens with unchecked power. You form basically something akin to the Nazis because that's what they're doing. It's, as Miriam said, a type of techno-fascism. And yeah. that's exactly what they're acting as. And now that they're banning vitamin C and you know, conversations like that, we all get to see uh, how bad they really are. And it's, it's the biggest validation that I could ever have for coming out and disclosing all this uh, when the censorship was ramping up and you know, wasn't was until it is now, which is far beyond what anyone ever could have predicted in 2016. If I had gone over to someone and said, oh yeah, by the way, Google's going to be, um, you know, uh, banning videos that talk about vitamin C in four years, they would have thought that I was fucking nuts. But right. here we are and it's happening. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's happening. And, and like Zach said, you know, they, they try to destroy, like they're trying to arguably destroy my business. They, right. it's a machine where they had the, their prostitutes write a smear piece, which then conveniently justifies the issuing of a FDA letter, FTC letter to my business for daring to say prevention. So when even Zach was saying earlier, he used the word mitigate, I, I got like a flashback because in the FDA letter, it says you can't say say that. So then you start censoring wow. yourself and you're like, wait a second, can I say that vitamin C prevents it? Um, I can't say that silver, well, the army is using silver. It's listed as the on an EPA disinfectant. And 
like Steve Hahn, arguably under quarantine, tweeted against my company. Like you have nothing better else to do to shame people. And also if you go to the FDA letters, because they there's an operation called Quack Hack, where they say that we're the quacks and they say hack, they they have again under the guise of emergency and public safety they are allowed to use hacking tactics and you can go to the cdc or all these the who and you can see they're getting upgrades because now they're effing with big big tech so they get to have like improvements um and and this is a witch hunt a witch hunt when they are doing the things that they're accusing others of it's bonkers and it needs to stop And we saw this, both Zach and I, with Samoa. So, speak for myself, I was prepped for something. I thought it was going to be Ebola. I was talking to Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. She also thought, you know, we were afraid of this global medical martial law. But 200,000 people got vaccinated in 30 days. Bravo. And look now, in what, two months, the entire economy is tanking and we're all under lockdown. Amazing. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, I'd like to maybe delve a little bit more into this idea of of techno-fascism. One of the interesting things uh, you mentioned in one of your articles, I think you brought him up a little bit earlier, Chat Bowers, um, who wrote a lot about this. And he actually, there's a quote, which just blew my mind. You wrote it in an article last September, 2019, uh, where he clearly said that in order to implement techno-fascism, they would create a perceived crisis, and then they would attempt to sow ideological division in order to divide and conquer the people so they could implement the plan. And it was just shocking to me that, uh, you know, we've been talking about this just um for a long time, this idea that a crisis can can be used, this um, problem, reaction, solution to kind of manipulate or socially engineer the people, but to move us towards this techno-fascist state, which seems to be the long-term agenda. Um, can you just discuss this idea a little bit more, techno-fascism? Yeah, and, and maybe I, I even, wanna, okay. yeah go, go ahead, sorry. Well, I was just saying also making the connection between Google and the pharmaceutical companies. I know you've done some research into that. So you can see a clear connection between these tech companies and the the pharmaceutical corporations. Well, the term techno-fascism, it was actually, I was explaining to our CTO who was new uh, when things hit the fan. He he really stepped in, not my business partner, a total stranger, uh, helped me really like in the trenches. And I was explaining to him what had happened. And he's like, wow, that's techno fascism. Huh. And I, a word wizard, like, oh, I'm like, oh my God, I love that word. I'm going to use that word. Right. <laughs> popularize that word. So when I was doing my research, I didn't know that Chet Bowers used that word techno-fascism. And I came across an article in Truth Out, which I used to write for, and I've become even more ex- too extreme for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found out that he was writing it in the context of artificial intelligence. And I don't know if that story was in 2015, I want to say, or even maybe a little earlier, um, the original article, but it was, yeah, in the terms of artificial intelligence and then really doing 
looking and finding out about the auto suggestions and seeing it for myself because if you did supplements are i saw what was coming up and then looking at verily and looking at alphabet and like i said earlier when i saw that they were associated with vaccines and that they were trying to develop a one-size-fits-all flu vaccine knowing that every year the strain is different and that's chasing a pipe dream mm -hmm. and that arguably those who are vaccinated for the flu get sicker at least from my experience i mean there are i know people who've been vaccinated for the flu and are okay and that's can go into that but that really like perked my i'm like oh my god they're a drug company and I never knew about the decade of vaccines. What's that all about? And Bill Gates is very much all about that. And, and I didn't know how Bill Gates fit into it or, or Anthony Fauci um, at that point. So yeah, but that, and like I said, that's when I eventually reached, came across Zach. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answers your your question. I, I think it's very appropriate technofascism and that arguably we're not only seeing fascism, but we're seeing totalitarianism. And um, there it's a mixture. I was trying yesterday having a conversation with someone, try to I have to like come up with a quasi word that mixes both. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think maybe we can start talking a little bit about solutions. Like, how do you get around, uh, Zach, how do you get around the, the strangulation, you know, to where you have access, more uh, free access to alternative information? Can you get around these algorithms? Uh, are there other search engines that you recommend? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that the spirit of humankind just doesn't want to be censored. Like, uh, especially with this, like, you know, cybernetic meta mind, which we call the internet and social media, it's kind of emerging. Um, you know, you get in there and people like want to make a post or, you know, message their friend. And then like a tech authority comes in there and applies Chinese style censorship. People tend not to like that. And they tend to start migrating away from those systems. But it takes time because we like typing in Google. We don't like typing in DuckDuckGo or Quant or these other search engines, right? Mm -hmm. And so right now we're kind of like in this like, phase transition state where, or, you know, we, we've gone from only using these top five social media companies, you know, Facebook, uh, Reddit, uh, you know, Twitter, uh, Instagram, YouTube. Um, and what's happening is that uh, as the censorship gets turned on higher and higher, then people just start, you know, diversifying and like, Oh, I'm going to like start, you know, publishing on BitChute and uh, YouTube at the same time. And, you know, people are like, well, you know, maybe I'll start posting on these other sites as well. Um, and what happens is that people just start to migrate. And there's a lot of people that are coming out there and they're saying, oh, we need like blockchain technology. And I'm not a big fan of blockchain technology for social media. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't like the idea of something that's not censorable because as soon as anyone builds that network, then an adversary just comes in and drops some, you know, illicit young, you know, pornography. And then uh, that's right. it's game over for that website. Right. So you can't have something that's immutable and uncensorable. It has to be censorable. The only question is who's doing the censorship. And 
you know, big tech is like, well, we're going to do the censorship. But I believe that what the natural course of um, all of this is going to reveal is that the only people that should be doing the censorship are the community, right? Like, you know, if you want to have the same service run in a Muslim country as a, you know, um, secular country as in a Christian country, well, then you're going to need to have differing, um, you know, morality standards that reflect the community of which you exist in. Right. And so um, I think that what's going to happen is, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to go back to the old model, which is, hey, like, let's like use something like Reddit, use something like Facebook, but then add community-based censorship. And uh, who's ever going to do that is going to get the, um, the, the, the users. And I think that that's going to, you know, take a few years still. Um, we could see an accelerated collapse of these big tech giants, um, you know, because the, the negative sentiment is just so high right now that as soon as, you know, it's apparent that Google's on fire as it loses its main revenue stream, which is not just ads, it's actually selling your data to China and other, you know, intelligence agencies around the world. Right. And when that gets slammed shut, then all of a sudden Google's like, yeah, we don't have money to pay everyone. We're going to have to like, um, uh, you know, reduce our stock price. And then uh, all these bad things start to happen. And we could see a really fast collapse. But um, right now they're, they're still the dominant players and uh, they're going to use their power to uh, try to do this like Hail Mary pass with the COVID-19 and the election that they're mm -hmm. trying to help rig. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be popcorn time for the next six months to like two years. I mean, it does seem like things are coming down to the wire. This contact tracing thing is just outrageous that they're going to start wanting to pay attention to everybody, where you're at, who you're hanging out with. And if you start to run a fever, then all of a sudden they can go out and get everybody and take them into quarantine. Yeah. yeah. They're criminalizing um, coughs and fevers right. they're weaponizing the fever gun which i predicted yeah and that's outrageous they are wanting to 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 trace test and track every last motherfucking one of us which is a reference to pulp fiction which right. i think of that scene when um i i think of that terror of of being tracked and traced and and i enrolled in the to become certified as a contact tracer um, on the John Hopkins. It's free. Um, sign up, not to become a snitch, but so that you know what's coming to you, boys and girls, when you hear the or the right. buzz and they tell you, excuse me, Miss Smith, were you sitting next to X whoever? And you're going to have to take a test, which then I will say to, excuse right. me, sorry. Um, if that's inappropriate, um, yeah. So it was very, it was very interesting to to take part in this. The con I'm not done with the certification, but I skimmed through it. So they have a glossary of terms, and they teach people like silence, and they prompt them to say like, uh huh. And then there's an actual glossary term, autonomy, and a differentiality between privacy and confidentiality and that under COVID-19 it's okay to share your health information because wow. for the safety of all. Yeah. 
And I'm not even done with the course. Who knows what other jewels are in there? And they're specifically finding people because we looked, Zach and I, at the job advert, which is all over thousands. Does it look like this is going to end anytime soon? If you're if you're hiring a whole fleet of contact tracers right. and invoking a snitch nation and people are falling for it, like we've never had the flu before. Like this is the first virus. Like we don't have a virome. It's like amnesia. And what it, it's, it's, it's ter terrible. It's, it's, it's terrible to snitch on each other. And then the who chief um, in Europe says that it's okay to go into people's houses and take, take them away. And so this also appeals like, you know, to the feminine, to the sacred feminine, the energy of wanting to nurture and care, not destroy and wreak havoc and use people as pawns in a divide and conquer scheme. Mm -hmm. So be upset, peoples. Don't, don't be allowed to be used as pawns. Right. It's so interesting, too, the, the manipulation of language. I think I saw an interview, Zach, with you, and you were describing almost the, the cult of statism. And it reminds me of the jargon. You know, there's so much jargon that comes out of it and people start to use the jargon and they don't even realize that they, they're like being handled. It's almost like a cult jargon that twists the language around so we can't have just a normal conversation anymore. Right. So strange. Um, you know, and I guess we're getting kind of towards the end here. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about uh, solutions or what you guys think is really coming. I mean, it's hard to remain optimistic when the contact tracing is coming. We're seeing the drones and the robot dogs and the uh, social credit system and the Chinese style, um, you know, the Chinese style surveillance coming our way right down the pike, right according to plan. Um, and it does seem to me almost what you were talking about, Zach, that some kind of decentralization could be the key, maybe not a blockchain technology, but some kind of way to organize the internet, maybe more community by community, so that there's not just one overarching authority that determines the information that is the truth and the information that's fake news, right? I mean, is that where right. we need to go? Well, yeah. And the thing is, is that what's going to make the decentralization argument so much stronger is the fact that it's cheaper, okay? Like, you know, um, one of the big reasons why Google and YouTube, well, let's just take a look at YouTube, right? They're controlling the distribution of video from a centralized source to every single person in the world. If they want a video to go down, it goes down because they stop serving it. In a decentralized system, um, what happens is that the consumers of the data then become um, relays and start serving it to other people. So uh -huh. you could imagine that, um, you know, let's say that, you know, you're, you're a videographer and you basically get a surge of views and then it tails off after a few days, right? So what, what you can do is you could self-publish a video and you can seed the file. And then what happens is that when people come and view your content then what happens is that they're required to stream to one other person and then what happens is that all all your networks of people that are streaming you are broadcasting and carrying the bandwidth load of distributing your video out to everyone in an right. ad hoc on the fly matter that a whole entire network that appears out of nowhere to serve up a video and then once you know, and then once the video goes away, then, you know, it, it, it's a different kind of question. How do you manage an archive of 
you know, sparsely viewed videos. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if we're just talking about like daily content from our favorite, you know, content producers, then a decentralized um, peer to peer system is going to perform way better and be way cheaper than anything that YouTube is going to be able to do with their army of overpaid engineers, you know, at the helm to make sure that that video is always available and doesn't ever have, you know, downtime. And, you know, one person can create that, you know, system of decentralized video serving. And we're seeing it happen all the time. Like another technology that's going to do it, it's called WebRTC. And uh, we're getting better and better results and, you know, being able to do this peer to peer. And so the uh -huh. decentralized network of the future will be like this and it's, it's going to be cheaper and it, they're just going to have a strategic structural advantage that's better than, you know, these big tech companies and these big tech companies are going to be fighting a losing battle. So when you think about like, why is the decentralized system going to win out? It's because it's fundamentally a cheaper system um, that exists. Yeah, absolutely. And then the profits also stay in the peer-to-peer -peer network instead of getting sucked up into the, the big corporations. I mean, that's maybe Miriam, you could speak to this in terms of like your healthcare business where you were offering organic healthcare because that's where they nail you. And even, you know, you start to make money and then they say, oh, you know, you're selling snake oil. So the FDA steps in and tells you you've got to stop. There's no scientific evidence, even if there is, you know, the FDA hasn't approved of your CBD formula or whatever it may be. And so you've got to stop or you've got to pay big fines. And then only the big corporations can really work within this system. And then of course, all the profits get sucked up into the centralized corporate system. Whereas, you know, say a decentralized healthcare system where lots and lots of people selling herbal remedies over the internet and everybody's making a little, you know, everybody's making a living. It's great. I mean, this is another way of taking the, the artificial scarcity that's created by, is this kind of a future of healthcare that maybe you could envision where instead of artificial scarcity created by uh, the big pharmaceutical corporations, you know, suddenly, I mean, heck, anybody can grow some herbs, right? If the knowledge is out there, um, there's a lot of ways that people can heal themselves. And it, it's really inexpensive. I mean, talk about expensive, the well, healthcare system. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know who I was listening to the other, maybe it, maybe it was um, SGT report or X22, where he was saying, we need why don't we see an itemized list? You only see the itemized list. I was one week in the hospital, not even a week. It was $70,000. And they tried wow. to get me out as soon as they could, you know, to kick me out. Um, so it's sick care and it was built on the Flexner report. And, and it's, it's, you know, goes back to, to standard oil and the Rockefellers and, disrupting the whole model and, and the AMA coming in and really looking at Flexner to practice study the, the very beginnings of scientism um, and just sick care treatment based, just not looking at the root. For me, the future of medicine is functional medicine. Mm -hmm. It's, and there have been initiatives like No Health, which is K-N-O-W, that was initiated by James Maskell and Mark Hyman of the Functional Medicine Institute. And when you listen to these 
functional medicine practitioners and the specificity in which they speak of, you realize how myopic Western medicine is and how compartmentalized. So they were creating a insurance base, which was really a network, which is kind of where the coaches come in, in the sense of it's really about re-educating and oftentimes getting people off this treadmill because I've had people that come to me and they're, and I can show just really a quick example of a woman who came and I shared with her all, she's having liver issues. She was so plugged into her liver medications that she, she wasn't ready. She came to me a year later and she said, I will do whatever you say. Um, so we slowly got her off of her meds and I work with a doctor because I'm not a doctor. In a week, she, I mean, she lost weight. She was feeling better. I just helped set her on her path. And this infrastructure that's under the umbrella of functional medicine has support, has a tailored, personalized, because we need to be individual-based. Your biochemistry, your biome, your virome, you, whether you're vaginally born or, or with a cesarean, you're completely mm-hmm. different. What will work for you to, you know, to even say like HCQ will work with a Z-pack and, um, and zinc. Well, you know, that's if you're going down that route, it's, it's, but I wouldn't put in the athromycine, the, the broad spectrum antibiotic. I, I would right. really look at it from an individual. So it's specific. It's, it's a network, it's a community and it's supportive and it's not people. It's not profits over people. It's, it's so, you know, we have to deconstruct and, and even when making vanishing of the bees, it, I noticed all of these systems needed to, to collapse. You know, the educational system, the political system, the agricultural system, the money, the banking system, they're all archaic or corrupt. And unfortunately, you have to go through a birthing process to come on to the other side. And, and I, I will remain optimistic. I think mm-hmm. meeting Zach helped with that because I was quite bitter and jaded um, from being pummeled. And also meeting all these incredible people that are on the forefront, whether they're covering coronavirus, but they're really, or, or covering vaccine safety. And I am honored to be part of that community and, and will, you know, die for that. Um, yeah. So I also wish for people to use this, op- this coronavirus to go within and to see what they can, the silver lining. You hear nice. That? Yeah. <laughs> Got a little something to say. Uh, Zach, how about you? Do you feel reason to be optimistic right now? Do you think we can somehow take advantage of this situation and turn it into a more positive future? Yeah. I mean, um, whenever there is a fall of the system, there's a renaissance that follows. And with all the technology that I've been discovering that has been withheld from humanity, when it comes mm-hmm. and is released, then, you know, we're going to unleash a new type of innovation that's never been seen before. And it will make the society that we live in today seem like something backwards. Like we're literally going to build something that's akin to Star Trek going forward. Um, And right now we've got essentially the Star Trek computers. We just don't have any of the other technology goodies, but it's coming. And um, you know, my recommendation to people is just hang tough. um, And you know uh, it's going to get rough and it's going to get worse. 
but at the end of the storm, it's going to be uh, a new light. Yeah, right on. I mean, I'm with you when it comes, especially these free energy technologies that are obviously out there. You know, once we can somehow keep the system from preventing them from from reaching the surface, I mean, and people start to really be able to make use of it, it, it can be it can be very liberating. So let's hope that this current systemic breakdown that we're seeing uh, may actually result in in some positive changes. Uh, instead of you know continuing to go down into into a, a more powerful system of control, which it seems well, to be what the agenda it's to, wants. It's up to us. It's it's up to us, we the people, if we can create that tipping point, and then we have to forge a plan. I, I don't know how the plan can be carried out under voluntary arrest or isolation, and I don't know if civil disobedience. You know, if, if that's the answer, I'm not for violence personally. So, I mean, I'm speaking in regards to this, uh, this whatever, this pandemic, mm-hmm. because according to the globalists, it's a 10-year plan, and we're at the very beginning, and they're already dropping the dark winter theme, which was a simulation exercise funded by Bill Gates that went awry that had to do with smallpox, by the way. Right. So not only a reference to the White Walkers in Game of Thrones. Um, well, it's going to be a very interesting 10 years for sure. And a lot of us are going to have to decide, you know, which direction we're going to go because uh, we're not going to have a choice, it seems, here pretty soon. So hopefully enough of us uh, will make a good choice and, and uh, you know, maybe we can start to really make a shift in the right direction. Well, awesome. Very, yeah, very cool, you guys. Any kind of final statements or you want to uh, let people know where they can find out more about your work? Yeah. Um, so uh, if people want to join the fight, then they can follow me at uh, twitter.com slash perpetual maniac. If they want to see the Google leaks, then they can do so at my website. That's zachvorhees.com. Uh, check out the blacklist. That's everyone's favorite. Um, and if they want to fight against censorship, then my advice is to come to stopbitburning.com. We're going to stop all the bits that are being burned by uh, the big tech companies. And if you can't remember what stop bit burning is, then you can use punchgoogle.com. So, um, yeah. So join the fight. We're going to take back your rights because we want to leave a uh, system of governance that is beneficial to you, your children, and your children children to come all right uh miriam how about you my message what what what, what uh just anything any following oh any following closing yes. statements and where I, where people can check out your stuff um well it's mary please follow me on twitter i work for tweets um and uh it's mariam hinane m-a-r-y-a-m-h-e-n-e-i-n I also have a YouTube channel, which is Miriam Hinane Bee Lady. And buzz on over to Honey Colony or Simply Transformative and, and support locally made excellent products from people who actually give a crap about you and your health and want to empower you to be your own best health advocate and reach your potential because we're an amazing human species and unfortunately we have been dumbed down and controlled and it's time to take back our sovereignty. 
All right. Very good. And I want to thank our producers. I want to thank you, Brandon Smith, for uh, the work you've been doing to help put this show together. You can find Brandon's work at morelawsmoreproblems.com. Also, uh, Rob Rubin at transparentmediatruth.com. And my name is Doug McKenty. I've been your host. You can check out my work uh, at The Shift with Doug McKenty on iTunes or YouTube. Um, I'm also... uh, my website is theshiftnow.com and you can find me on Patreon at The Shift with Doug McKenzie. So if you feel like supporting me, I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks again, you guys, for being on. Thank really you. appreciate your work. Thank you. And, yeah, thank you guys. Uh, keep thank up the good fight. Yeah, we All didn't right. hear one bad joke. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Still it was time. so interesting. I, yeah, exactly. I couldn't get in there, but I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Mary. <laughs> Thank, Thank you guys you. for helping us put this together and get some truth out there to the world. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, Thanks a lot. We'll talk to everybody next time. Thank All you. All right. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay.